40 is a sacred number. Uh, perhaps you've already picked up on this, but biblical numerology is a thing, and it's a good thing. So don't be scared. Come on in. The water's fine. Uh, we need to pay attention to the numbers in the Bible. And in Holy Scripture, 40 is all over the place. And the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. This is this account of Noah, Genesis chapter 7. Moses, so he was there when we heard this last week. He was there with the Lord. This is on Sinai, 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, so fasting. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Moses actually did back-to-back 40-day fast because he gets the law, and then he goes down the mountain, and then he recounts this in Deuteronomy 9. He says, And I fell down before the Lord, as at the first 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So Moses kind of let him have it there. I was already pretty hungry, but you guys were so bad. I had, I had to engage in another 40 days of intercessory prayer and repentance and penance on your behalf. So there's the 40 again. And then as we know, perhaps the most famous 40 in all the Bible is that Israel, on account of their disobedience on account of their faithfulness, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And if you remember, when they got to the promised land, spies were sent into the land. How long do you think they were in the land? 40 days. And because they came back and they were, for the most part, yeah, we're, we can't do that. There's giants there. We can't win. Their, their repentance, their period of, rep of repentance becomes one year for each day the spies had been in the promised land. So they wandered 40 years in the wilderness. David and Goliath. Now, skipping ahead a bit. Goliath would come out and taunt the Israelites. How many days do you think he did this? First, sub first Samuel 17. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself... 40 days, morning and evening. Elijah, later on even still, Elijah in the wilderness. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, another name for it, the mountain of God. That's in 1 Kings 19. And then the prophet Ezekiel. He had already been uh, laying on his side uh, in, in penance, and uh, as a symbol of Israel's sin, I think it was like something like over 300 days. I might be getting that wrong. Uh, he, he, li he lies on his left side because the northern kingdom of Israel never had their act together. So he had to lie on his side a day for every year that they were in apostasy. So it was hundreds of days. But then God says to him after he had done that, I'm sure he was happy to roll over. But he says, lie again now on your right side. Then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah 40 days. I have laid on you a day for each year. Jonah, the prophet Jonah, is the last one. But here are just a few of 
about 150 examples of the occurrence of the number 40 in the canon of Scripture. Jonah begrudgingly, we know the story of Jonah, he, he didn't want them to repent. He wanted them, God to nuke the Ninevites. He hated them. He begrudgingly obeyed God and went to uh, the people of Nineveh. And he, he said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Unless, of course, they repent, which they did, and God spared them. As you can see from the examples which I just gave, the number 40 is awesome. But also, and, and like the surfer dude sense, like this is just really cool stuff. But you can see that it's often associated in Scripture, not always, with periods of punishment and penance, fasting and repentance, temptation and testing. And in Lent, which is 40 days, the church enters her great season of fasting and repentance in which she and her members can and should reflect upon the various 40s of Holy Scripture. But first and foremost, Lent is a participation in the fasting and temptation of Jesus in whom all the sundry 40s find their telos and fulfillment. And Jesus bids us, this and every holy land, to journey into the wilderness for 40 days with him, so that we might do battle with and share in his victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. You see, Jesus went into the wilderness for us. He went into the wilderness for us to bring victory where there had been defeat and to bring victory now in the context of the very church year. There's an ongoing benefit available to you because Jesus went into the wilderness. He's offering to you now, to us, victory in the areas of our lives which we are now suffering defeat. St. Gregory the Great, who was Bishop of Rome in the 6th century, wrote, It was not unworthy of our Redeemer to wish to be tempted, who also came to be slain, in order that by his temptations he might conquer our temptations, just as by his death he overcame our death. I got to take a time out just for a second from the sermon. Uh, as you can see, we got a new, we got a Lenten wooden altar crucifix, uh, the body of which uh, is from a monastery uh, in France, uh, I think late uh, 19th century. And you'll notice that this wooden crucifix, that the bottom of it, And that is the skull of Adam, the skull of all mankind. Because Jesus, by his death, defeated death. So Jesus brings victory where there had been defeat. But if we look ahead to Friday, he brings victory. By being defeated in death. By his death, 
So there it is. It's pretty cool. I'm pretty stoked about this. So feign excitement in my presence, if you would. Jesus succeeds in the wilderness where everyone else has failed. From Adam and Eve to Israel to us. He recaps, he recapitulates, and redeems. One day for every year that Israel had wandered in the wilderness, Jesus, as the one man faithful remnant of Israel, is faithful where the Israelites had been faithless. And Christ goes into the wilderness to right an ancient wrong. The Word became flesh to conquer in the flesh the temptation to which our first parents, and as you know by experience, that we all have succumbed to. Now, briefly, uh, and in other Lenten sermons, I've gone into this in great detail. You can go find them in the archives if you want. The similarities, uh, if we look at our Old Testament lesson and our gospel, the similarities between the temptation in the Garden of Eden and the temptation of our Lord are strike, striking. And so as we briefly compare, let us start by going to 1 John, because I, I think in his first epistle, he, he helps connect these two texts. He writes, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the ways in which we are tempted, going all the way back to the garden. So John isn't pulling these uh, categories out of nowhere. I would contend that he gets them from Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, which says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and that it was desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. And then Satan seems to employ with our Lord the same strategy in the wilderness that he did in the garden. Uh, and like in Eden, he, he's twisting the words of God. Did God say that? I mean, he's, he's quote mining scripture to the one who wrote it, to Jesus, which is kind of funny. Like, don't you think Jesus is going to understand like, what this really means? He says, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Lust of the flesh. The devil showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, the lust of the eyes. And he said to them, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. The pride of life. And Jesus conquers the temptations to which Adam and Eve succumbed, to which all of us have fallen. 
Christ goes back to the beginning and engages in the primal battle and is utterly victorious. And again, all this he did for our sake. The Christian life is not a list of rules and regulations. It's not, um, you know, t tips to have a better week. It's not even all principles to live by. It's more than that. It's much more than that. The Christian life is a participation in the life of Christ. It's union and relationship with him. Therefore, we can share in the victory of Christ over temptation, over our trials, by virtue of our union with him. The grace and strength of which are given to us through the ascetic, liturgical, and sacramental life of the church. He gives us these gifts. The gift of prayer, fasting, almsgiving, repentance, scripture, the sacraments. St. Paul says to those who have died, those who have been crucified with Christ in baptism, whose life is hidden with Christ in God, he commands them, saying, put to death what is earthly in you. That's Colossians 3.5. Brothers and sisters, we're going out into the wilderness so that we can be transformed. We're going out into wilderness so that we can be refined by the fire of the Spirit, so that anything earthly, so that anything that's not of God in us can stay there out in the wilderness. That anything that's not of God can die. Jesus gives us the opportunity because, again, we're going out into the wilderness with our Lord. He's with us in the wilderness. We have to remember this. The messenger of Yahweh. You read the angel of the Lord here. That's the messenger of Yahweh. The ancient church interpreted that as the second person of the Trinity, that Jesus was with the Israelites in the wilderness, that they were led by an energetic manifestation of the Spirit, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. We go into the wilderness with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in his strength that we're changed and that we're transformed. And he's giving us this opportunity. If we would but taste and see that the Lord is good, to trade the yoke of sin and death, the burden of which is difficult and heavy for the yoke of the Savior, which is easy and light. This putting to death is a battle. We go into the wilderness with our Lord to fight 
our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we are equipped with weapons by the Lord. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. These are known traditionally as the three pillars of Lent. I was surprised on Instagram, Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg's talking about the three pillars of Lent on his Instagram. I'm like, go Marky Mark. I mean, I thought you peaked with Feel the Vibrations, but you're going even further than that. I mean, I was really Im- impressed with what he said. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. He, he didn't come up with those, by the way. I think it was on the Today Show, and, and the ticker said, uh, Mark Wahlberg's 40-day challenge. Like, no, this, isn't a, this is called Lent. Like, it's not Marky Mark's <laughs> multi-level marketing that he's trying to get us to buy into or whatever. I mean, that's ridiculous. This show's just kind of like, the train has left the station with biblical and theological familiarity in our, in our culture. Like, good night. Um, <laughs> all right, but we got, we're, we're landing the plane, and I'm, I'm, it's a rough landing. Here we go. These three pillars are lent. There are weapons in the wilderness against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Fasting, for example. When we, when we fast, trying to understand what fasting is, but when we fast in the way that Jesus calls to, uh, not for vanity or uh, for show, uh, we bring our bodies, uh, I think both our physical bodies and our spiritual bodies, uh, into submission under the Spirit. We learn to be led by the Spirit instead of our bestial desires. We learn to live under the law of liberty instead of the tyranny of our impulses. Because the reality is, you have as many masters as you have vices. In fasting, we declare, like Jesus, that our food is to do the will of the Father, and that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The scriptures are a weapon, too. They're in each pillar. They're they're foundational. They they permeate the whole of the Christian life. And it's the weapon, it's the weapon, which our Lord uses against Satan in the wilderness. And one which he gives us. And one that often stays on the weapon rack in daily life. This is going to sound judgmental, but whatever. So many errors in modern Christendom. It's just the truth. So many professing Christians are led astray by the father of lies because they're ignorant of the scriptures. Because they don't know the truth. They're taken in by counterfeits, because they're unfamiliar with the genuine article. They err because they don't know the scriptures. So brothers and sisters, we are still very much at the beginning of this journey. If you didn't start on Ash Wednesday, you can still see Jesus making his way out into the wilderness and you can, you can run to catch up. The door of the ark is not closed. 
So let us, at the beginning of this Lenten season, as the prayer book says, uh, for, for the sake of transformation, for the sake of deeper union with our Lord, commit ourselves to self-examination and repentance, to prayer, to fasting and self-denial, and to reading and meditating upon the Holy Scriptures. And let us now pray to the one in whom we shall find the grace and strength to do so. O Lord, who for our sake didst fast forty days and forty nights, give us grace to use such abstinence that our flesh being subdued to the Spirit, we may ever obey thy godly motions in righteousness and true holiness to thy honor and glory, who livest and reignest with the Father and the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end.